0: Super smart like beyond average smart he graduated with three majors three minors and even did study abroad don't ask me how he did it he did it right so I didn't think that I match up to that I but I still wanted to give Rose a try I didn't let that stop me I was like you know what yes I may not be this guy but I have my own experiences they that maybe they will see as like Rhodes material and I, I went with it yeah
1: This is part 2 of 2 with Izadi and I really think we blew past the niceties in this episode and got to the nitty gritty of her experiences applying for the Rhodes Scholarship, being an international student and having to cope with American culture, and her experiences with what she refers to as the colonial mindset, please listen. Yeah, I mean, so you said that the that first global health class you took was like the best class you've taken at Penn. I'm wondering what has been your best experience at Penn generally, not necessarily class related?
0: Not so class related. Um, my best experience at Penn, I think, has been the memories that I've gained with my MSA community, the Muslim Student Association here. I feel like they have really been my bedrock here at Penn. As I mentioned before, um, as a freshman, it was really isolating coming from a whole different cultural background to the US. And I remember coming to the first ever um, Juma'a, which is Friday Prayer, here at Penn, and hearing the Azan. This is the call for prayer, which is also what I hear a lot in Malaysia, and just crying because finally, I feel a sense of belonging. And I think those are the experiences the be with my MSA friends and all, like going on trips. And just hanging out at the our shared space, I think those are the ones I've always looked back fondly on.
1: Hanging out in that space, it was really, I don't know, like identity reinforcing because I feel like sometimes in certain places you can feel like, oh, I'm the only one of me. <laughs> and so going to a place where that's not the case can just be relaxing. Yeah.
0: I don't know, like, I think as a Muslim, as a hijabi, also sometimes you, people outside see you as, like, this, you're representing, you're, like, the ambassador for all hijabi Muslims, all Muslims in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's such an interesting point. Like, I don't think I've ever discussed that on this podcast before, even though there's been a number of Muslim guests. Not all the guests are Muslim. People who wear hijabs sometimes feel this like pressure to be an ambassador for the entire religion like some of the time i feel like i'm the same as everyone else and then it's that person who reminds me that i'm different
0: yeah yeah you you, you just you just live your life as a normal person and then like sometimes there's this random instance where you you are reminded that oh other people don't see you as that
1: i mean would you say that has been your experience at penn frequently or not you know frequently
0: um people are reminding me um that i'm <laughs> different
1: no, I'm not like reminding that you're different per se. You know, you're an international student and you wear hijab. And so, have you ever felt like people sort of perceive you to like behave or think a certain way? And then once you reveal to them that you don't think that, they seem, you know, taken aback. Have you ever had that sort of strange experience?
0: Yeah, definitely. I remember one of the one of the things like my small pet peeves are like when they meet me for the first time and they find out that i'm not american um i'm from malaysia and they would say stuff like oh my god your english is so good like thank you in malaysia we learn english from a very young age there's just like this preconceived notion i know they're just trying to be nice in often cases they are just like trying to be nice you know what i mean like trying to say oh your english is so good like china they think they're complimenting me but like in doing that i I feel a bit isolated. Oh, you thought I was different? Or like my culture, you have like preconceived notion about my where I'm from? So that was always so interesting. Yeah.
1: Have you had any negative experiences with classes or dormitories or food or anything that's a part of student life at Penn?
0: Oh, yeah. I think Did... I think as a hijabi Muslim, the dorms can be very tough. I was lucky enough to not be in a dorm. But I've heard a lot of like things about being in a dorm that can be very, very hard in terms of privacy and stuff like that and like just boundaries. Um, but of my own experience, I think food was one of the biggest issues. Um, one thing that's not talked about is that when you're an international student, uh, when you're studying abroad, one of the biggest issues that students face is actually um, related to their eating habits. So either you lose a lot of weight because you're not used to food culture or you gain a lot of weight because because you're not so used to the food culture. So I didn't, I didn't even know this was going to happen to me because I gained a lot of weight when I first got here because I just wasn't used to having a lot of sugary food around me. Really cheap fast food and pizza. Because in Malaysia, these were seen as like tree items, like something festive and you don't really question it when it's there because it's so rare when you see it. But here it's just all around you so i think stuff like that you just need to know that that is going to happen and everything will be fine that you there are resources that can help you and you're not the only one struggling with it because i clearly felt that i was the only one who did but apparently i found out that's not the case
1: was it still hard to adjust after realizing that
0: i think after, it was it was initially hard even though i knew that what was happening to me because even when I wanted to adjust as a freshman, there was no kitchen, I can't cook for myself. But once I had more control of my cooking, as I was a sophomore and living off campus, that's when it got a bit easier. But as a freshman, it's definitely hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I guess I'm wondering what other sort of guidance would you give someone who's an international student Um, you know, about being a student in college generally, not just at Penn necessarily?
0: I think the biggest thing I would say is, going back to what I said before too, is just um, branching out and trying out new things. There are a lot of times where I personally felt like, I personally felt like a bit insecure about myself because I think growing up, like, all of my media was American. And also there is this colonial mindset of like, Americans or specifically white people, um, being better or smarter, right? And I, I have to admit, that's something that I internalized growing up in Malaysia. But when I came here, I had to unlearn that because I could see how that mentality stopped me from really participating in classes, from like having my voice be heard, because I felt like I wasn't good enough. So I had to unlearn that and really believe in myself that, hey, I got in this university just like all of them. I got in, I got accepted, and... I have something in my own experience and my own background that they don't, everyone else doesn't, and it's unique. And that is very invaluable.
1: You know, you were saying how growing up in malaysia you consumed a lot of american media and sort of internalized this idea that uh people who are white are automatically associated with positive qualities like intelligence you know beauty etc and so that was sort of ended up being almost damaging for you because then it's like well you don't identify as that so then do you perceive yourself as intelligent do you perceive yourself as you know etc um, but I feel that it's an interesting thing because even, like, I would say as an American myself, I can't speak for everyone, but even as a Black American, I sometimes, I don't know if I've internalized that view, but I can definitely see, I can definitely relate to what you're saying about feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough. Like, when I got into Princeton, for me, it was the opposite experience to you and that, like, I really did. I was almost... I don't want to say delusional, but I really was thinking like, oh yeah, I definitely got here because I deserve to be here. Um, Like I remember there was this like circle and the dean, (laughs) one of the deans was like leading it and she went to Harvard, but she was saying, you know, we were talking about imposter syndrome. I worked so hard to get here. What do you mean? I should feel like an imposter. Like, what are you talking about? Um, Later on in my career, like later on, like as a student. I definitely had moments of, will those perceptions limit my potential? And then sort of like a very strange sort of existential question to grapple with. Like, how, to what extent will other people's perceptions or interactions with me limit where I go forward in life?
0: In realizing that, you sort of stop yourself from reaching for those things too. It's like a weird sort of like dynamic.
1: Yeah. So what you said about you, you had to unlearn that sort of um those internalized, that internalized worldview, you had to unlearn it. I feel like that's really key and really integral to like being someone who takes charge of your destiny, not letting other people's perceptions or even your own perceptions, even your own self, my own self. You know, you can think like, well, I'm not good enough to apply for X, so therefore I won't. And because you never applied, you never got it. <laughs> and because you go through life, you yeah. know, you doing that over and over again. You don't get so many things that you could have gotten just because of your own perception, not even like other people's, you know, interactions with you. Yeah.
0: And you you sort of always go for things that you like safe, like safe bets that you know you're going to get. It, so I might as well just like not right. waste like, yeah. my efforts on something hard if I know I'm just going to get this. Even for like going back to roots, I remember the person who mentored me. Um, the person who's Malaysian who got it from Penn, he was like super smart, like beyond average smart. He graduated with three majors, three minors, and even did study abroad. Don't ask me how he did it, he did it, right? So I didn't think that I match up to that, I but I still wanted to give Rose a try. I didn't let that stop me. I was
1: like, you know what? Yes, I may not
0: be this guy, but I have my own experiences. They that maybe they will see us like Rhodes material. And I, I went with it. Yeah.
1: So how would you say like he helped you uh, pursue the Rhodes scholarship? Yeah,
0: I think, I think mentoring is something that we hear, but it's so underappreciated. Firstly, just knowing someone, a friend who got Rhodes sort of demystifies the process, demystifies the scholarship, makes it more human, like seems more attainable because I know this person, I know he's super smart, but I also know that he put in a lot of work, Um, he has his own struggles too, so hearing that like humanizes the scholarship in certain ways, Um, he also helped me in terms of telling me um, what are the things that he did that helped him, he felt helped him, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'm wondering for someone listening who may, you know, who's considering applying to Rhodes um, the next time or, you know, is curious, just generally curious, how how, like would someone shape their application for Rhodes? Like, what do you say? What do you not say? Like, is there like an understanding, a culture? Like, what is, you know, you said the tagline. Can you repeat the tagline again? Um,
0: Like, people who fight the people's fight.
1: Right, so is that like the modus operandi you have to have when you decide to apply? How would you describe sort of how people should look at themselves and organize their professional and you know academic pursuits to be competitive for a scholarship like that?
0: Mm, Yeah, so I think first of all you got to be a researcher. You got to understand what the scholarship is, and at the crux of it, that is what it is. They want to find the future leaders of the world. And I'm not saying that global health is the only way to do it. There are a lot of other Rhodes Scholarship recipients. I know this person who is studying music to help people who struggle with autism, right? That's one way to go about doing it. So you got to like not see it as just one way to help the world. There's a lot of ways to do it. And it could be it, and really have to look at yourself as a person in terms of what you're doing now. And how can that help others in the future? In terms of actually shaping the application, the one thing I always hear and what also helped me is that the question of what is your narrative? What is your story? What do you hope to achieve in the future? What have you done in the past that has sort of led you to you achieving this dream? Have shown that you're committed to achieving this dream? And how does roads play a part And how does an education in Oxford play a part in you achieving that dream in the future? That's really what they want to see.
1: So, I guess, you know, I'm curious because there's at least two presidential candidates who have a Rhodes Scholarship. What do you plan to do in the future? (laughs) That is
0: interesting, yes. Um, As I said, I'm a big dreamer. Um, I actually want to be potentially maybe one of the first female prime ministers in Malaysia.
1: So... At the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15-minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Scivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Or at least it once did. How do you discover that about which your passionate and can you have co-passions is that really possible maybe it is because you can have more than one passion that you're pursuing or, or would like to pursue and the reason there's that multiplicity that plurality is because Each of those passions reflects the same underlying affinity that you have towards something. Um, So this interruption became a bit more stream of consciousness. Um, Initially, it started out as the fulfillment (laughs) of of a legal, technically, order. Then it changed to, well, I should plug skivio if I have to plug Skype. And then it evolved into this deeper, almost existential, if not directly existential question about how does one decide what to pursue? Which, honestly, this is coming full circle because is that not the purpose of Scivio Radio, right? I've interviewed people from a range of backgrounds and you find that I consistently ask about whether the path they're currently on was one they imagined they would embark upon, right? If this path that they're on now is it something that they knew from a young age, from earlier in life, from whatever point, whatever previous point that they were being called to, right? <laughs> if we're going to invoke a sense of destiny, or is it really just the reflection of their wanting to change, right? There's nothing deeper. It wasn't um, from a historical or a childhood you know, fantasy about what, what I want to be you know, before I'm 30, because apparently, uh, there's a deadline that's, that's quite ageist, right? You know, uh, how many authors and writers only wrote their first book, you know, when they were 50 or 60 in their fifties in their sixties, right? How many great things were accomplished by humankind from people who were in middle age or older? So I honestly don't know where this deadline comes from thank you for sticking with me through (laughs) yet another digression and I return you back to my programming and this conversation and follow Skivio on Instagram and Twitter Uh, Facebook Skivio isn't active so you can follow us there as well but um, there it would only be a show of support <laughs> it wouldn't be to receive any information um, or content or resources because I'm very big on that that's awesome that would be so cool if I knew someone who became a <laughs> prime minister of Malaysia that would be so like I just wouldn't have words, I don't (laughs) think.
0: Like, I think my tagline really is like, work hard, dream big. Yeah, I always dream big and I try to work hard to achieve it, but we'll see where I actually end up. But that's, that's where I hope to be.
1: It seems like from what you said, you view yourself as someone who can potentially affect structural change. You've seen these social inequalities in different places, Warsaw, Guatemala, Malaysia. And so it seems like you want to affect change at higher levels. Is that true? Yes, definitely. The global health courses you've taken, do you plan to sort of align yourself with a medical field, a healthcare related field, or do you just want to go into policy more generally?
0: I sort of want to be in policy more generally. Global health is just one platform where structural inequality can exist social inequality can exist on many, many different levels. And it really is like a structural level issue. And in Malaysia, what I see the issue is, is a lack of policies created based on data. And on top of that as well, the assumption that quantitative data is subjective. I think those two things are sort of the, the root of structural issues in Malaysia. Because you don't, there's like a disconnect between what's going on in the world and what's showing in the data and how, and that, and that itself is already a problem. But on another level as well, an absence of policies that are using data to influence them instead of just using popular rhetoric. So that is like the structural level thing I hope to change.
1: The Rhodes Scholarship, do they put you on a specific track? Oh
0: no, actually, they just fund me. So it really is my choice. I'm thinking of doing two masters a master's in social data science, and a master's in public policy. But I might want to change the second master's to a PhD, haven't decided quite yet.
1: Yeah, so I guess, you know, we've come full circle to from where you started, you know, coming to Penn from Malaysia as an international student to, you know, now going to Oxford, inshallah, to do the social data science master's and potentially a phd and then maybe even one day becoming a prime minister of malaysia
2: maybe. Um, In so we'll i guess see. i'm
1: wondering um i feel like we've covered you know all the bases is there anything left out or that you want to bring up
0: um i think finally always be excited to try new things even though they're not totally related to sort of your end goal as well I do Muay Thai, Taekwondo. I love diving. I love running. So yeah, like do other things that can develop you in certain ways as well. You never know how these other activities can come into play developing you as a person as well. Life is not all just about work. You need to have to, you know, do other interesting things as well.
1: Well, I want to exercise four times a week and I want to try this new restaurant. Like, would you say you're more in that category?
0: Yes, definitely. I think... Um, I've always made it a point to diversify my experiences. I love going, like exploring new cafes to study. I love trying new foods. I love going to the gym and trying random different workouts. I love traveling around. Because I think these things, although may not be as linear in understanding, it has impacts on my development as a person. Yes, I really do think these things actually matter as well.
1: It's almost like a philosophical discussion, (laughs) like, you know, you know, devoting or not necessarily. Well, yeah, devoting yourself to becoming an actualized person outside of school like, for some people, that's such a revolutionary idea. And interestingly, and interestingly there is one there other guest one other for whom this for was a revolutionary, a revolutionary idea. idea. That's Celine, that's Celine from, from doing what during Study Abroad? That episode. That episode. Celine Ibrahim is a theologian and teacher. She studied at Harvard Divinity School, and that was also a really incredible conversation. I remember a Princeton student, he was saying how because there's so many hours of the week that he's like studying or preparing for class or doing homework, that there's not really, who do I wanna be as a human, (laughs) right? And so he was saying, because he's a computer science major, I believe, he was saying that a lot of big tech companies like Google, et cetera, maybe inadvertently prey on this. Because these students don't have the time to sit and reflect about what they wanna pursue big picture, it's easier for them to just sort of like, reflexively be like okay i'll take that job offer i think
2: this is true not just for students but i think this is true for people in general i think it's very easy to get so consumed in the life that we're in the very midst of that somehow because we're a culture that emphasizes productivity that you know, even just taking time for a walk, unless it's about like exercise and burning calories, is you know, is not a, a valid use of time. A- and I have to push back in in my own life around this uh, as well. And one of my favorite kind of moments early on in my marriage, I had brought my Arabic uh, study flashcards to the to a cafe. And my hubby who had just grown up in a a different culture with different priorities finally said to me, he's like, just relax, just like put the vocabulary cards down and drink your tea, you know? And, and and that to me was like, wait, I'm, this is, this is like 30 minutes. I could be learning, you know, (laughs) you can be learning at least 10 new words in 30 minutes. And so shifting, you know, shifting uh, a perspective, uh, but, you know, again, I think it's about balance because I think fundamentally for our well-being, we do need to have a sense of purpose. And, you know, we do need to think about time as, as uh, you know, I, I would say a gift, but, you know, it's uh, as certainly something to, to, to be reflective of, uh, about how, how we go about um, living it
1: just to take a moment to have a walk for leisure and for, you know, (laughs) to clear your mind is like, seems like an indulgence because we live in a society that's so focused on like productivity output. How how much work did you do today? So I'm really glad that you, you know, brought that up.
2: Yeah, And we're, we're a society that values things that can be measured and, 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 uh, you know, commodified in, in a sense. And, I I think part of the work of spirituality is to you know think about different metrics for what makes life um, fulfilling and um, I think that's the that's what I'm trying to do I think as a as a chaplain as a budding theologian if we will 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 say that um, and as a teacher certainly
0: because like I said before especially in college it's such a unique time in your life. Once you're working, it's going to be very, very hard to be able to do all these other, like, crazy fun, just random things, you know, that you can do when you're in college. And I feel you should capitalize on that. Let's give you Well, I commend you and a- applaud you for doing this. It's amazing. you can find something yes. remarkable
1: about this guest, by swiping up, at least in Apple Podcasts. I should also plug myself. She is in fact the one who and by she I mean Mona pointed out to me that I don't <laughs> mention my Instagram handle. Um, and I what I'm about to mention is not my personal account it's the account for Skivio Skivio Radio. And that is strangely enough under the handle Amina's Almost 30 A M I N A S Almost 30 um for some reason skivio last i check was take checked was taken even though it's a word i made up um <laughs> uh and then funnily enough i was googling skivio recently and i saw that there's a lamp being sold i believe in the uae called the skivio ceiling lamp i think was the name um so I'm wondering, like, does do, do you does anyone know if this is a real word? Because I literally amalgamated two two very different words and came up with this. So, anyway, um. Also, but on Twitter, what am I on Twitter? Let me see. Yeah, on Twitter, it looks like I'm Skivio, S K I V E zero on Twitter. And why should you follow us, right? Well, I could go with an argument that has surfaced recently, right, where there was research showing that female academics, and I quote, they have disproportionately, the quote starts with the word disproportionately, fewer Twitter followers, likes, and retweets than their male counterparts on the platform. And so, you know, assuming you've been a long-time listener of Skivio Radio, or even if you're not a long-time listener, but you're, like, a long-time, like, supporter of, like, the ideas <laughs> uh, I propagate or try to propagate on this podcast, through this podcast, then, you know, like, I, I feel like I don't need to say much more to convince you to follow. I mean, if you're a long-time listener, you know every guest has something about them that is worth following. And it may seem like, oh, I only choose accomplished people to come on the show, they're so important. No, no I do not. If you have seen the episodes, the backlog of episodes that have accumulated up until this point, 2020, a new decade, You'll see that that's not the case. Me, myself, those who follow my Instagram especially know, like, rarely, if ever, do I disappoint. I'm also, like I said earlier, a graduate of Princeton. Um, and so I go back a lot, literally for every conference this past year and this year I went back, um... And they have conferences where there are panels about entrepreneurship, different topics. So I post clips from those. I even posted a video of the Supreme Court Justices, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, who came back to talk to us. They're also Princeton alumni. Um, And so that's part of what you would see on my social media on Instagram. In Instagram news also... I posted a feature done on me by a historically anti-black and historically anti-woman institution, Princeton University. I also created a new word, con-blocking, as in stop con-blocking women, i.e. confidence blocking women. And I let y'all know on Instagram and Twitter via Instagram that I re-uploaded the this episode because I had originally uploaded an incomplete version the first time. So this is why you should follow me on Instagram, to know these things. That's one argument. Another argument is, you know, Miss Billy Rizzi, former guest, uh, Facebook PM, she was saying or implied, like, you know, there's this concern some may have, how many followers do I need to get to be taken seriously, right? It's not merely narcissistic pursuit it's it's literally like well how seriously can you be taken based on the surface level metric that is what your follower count is what your engagement you know analytics look like etc but at the same time these things do send a signal for example female academics who have fewer retweets it's not that their work, their research is any less serious, right, or legitimate than their male counterparts, but then to people who don't know, like, could it not look that way? Like, how do they progress further <laughs> compared to their male counterparts if, like, they can't even get beyond that threshold of, like, visually does it look like we are, our research is comparable? You know what I'm saying? So, I, if I haven't persuaded you with this, I don't know more, what more I can say, and please continue listening to the episode. I will insert our handles in the description of this episode. You swipe up an Apple podcast to get it and click the links. If you do want to follow us or at least see what we have to offer, right? Like the follow is not, you know, by force, right? Just see for yourself, right? Again, I get this message, these messages from people that the podcast has impacted them and then sometimes I'm apathetic but then sometimes at least one time you know in recent history I get this fire in my belly of like well if only this episode could reach more people like imagine the impact that could have imagine how it could affect their lives and like what they choose to pursue going forward and when I say choose to pursue I don't mean like I'm trying to indoctrinate people and make people pursue tech or STEM. Like, just what they choose to, to to consider pursuing, right? Because I feel like a lot of us growing up... So, at the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15-minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Skivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. The realm of possibilities we have regarding like what we could become it's either like really really big (laughs) right like or really really narrow like oh i don't know all the jobs right and i feel like skivio radio has become this place where you literally can hear me have conversations with people pursuing different paths and i feel like if more people could listen to these conversations especially from the younger generations then it would be easier for them to navigate stuff right like (laughs) to navigate college to navigate grad school to navigate the post-grad struggle right that hashtag as they say as it were um why do i sound pretentious right now defense mechanism anyway please follow us on (laughs) twitter and instagram and continue listening to the show